We are looking at the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, the second one that we have in our, our Bibles. And we're calling this series Renovation. Anybody remember the word renovation? And kind of where we've traveled. Okay, so I'm not going to review that, but I will encourage you to go onto the website and there's a big button that says watch. If you've missed any of the messages, or maybe you just need to be reminded, by the way, I watch messages from time to time to be reminded myself. Anybody else need that? Okay, just heads up. The older you get, the more that's true. So just embrace it, okay? Go back and review. Go back and watch again. Go back and read again 2 Corinthians. Right now we're in chapter 4. And so we're talking about renovation and this idea that God wants to construct a clear identity in each one of us that call Jesus Savior. That we call him, If we call him Lord and Master, we call him friend, we call him King, he has given us a new identity. And we struggle with that. We struggle with it. And so he wants to construct it. He wants to do some teardown. Right? He wants to do some removal. There's some ideas that you have in your head that I have in my head concerning your identity that are not true. I'll just leave it at that. I think we can just agree. You need to identify what those are. You need to let God identify what those are. Let him tear some things out and then rebuild some things that are in line with who he says that you are to him. Or we say in him, for him. Right? You with me? So we're, we're calling it renovation. And this morning we're coming to chapter 4. And if you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. If you have it on your phone, if you have, um, maybe you have it on a tablet, it'll also be behind me. We're going to zoom in on a few verses in chapter 4. And we're calling this look at 2 Corinthians the pathway to transformation. What does it look like to get on this path? What needs to happen? What does God want to do? So this last week, my wife called me. I'm, I can't remember where I was. I was somewhere, and she called, and she said, hey, the car won't work. I, I can't lock the door. She was at a store looking for something. She goes, I can't even go inside. I, I can't get it to do anything. Okay. And so into my head, because I'm a guy, okay, I got to fix this, right? That's what I do. That's my job. But I get over there, and she goes into the store, and I take the fob, and step one is let's make sure the key. You know what a fob is? Um, I need to make, because the car is totally dead, nothing's working, so I'm going to go and I have to f go to a couple stores to find those silly little round, not silly, but those little round ones, you know what I'm talking about, and the first stores I went to were out, so that began this path, this began this journey, and as I'm driving to those stores, I'm thinking through what needs to happen, because my wife's car needs some renovation, it needs some repair, it needs some restoring, because right now it's this beautiful piece of technology that is absolutely worthless it's a giant paperweight in someone else's parking lot and so how do I how do I get it fixed how do I get it home how do all that kind of stuff and so the path began I changed the bat the fob that didn't work we called AAA the guy come they send out the the guy with the batteries and he messes around and he was good but he tried and he couldn't fix it he tore the fob apart he goes I don't know what to do we got to call the tow truck guy so tow truck came he comes we open the door and everything works Really? Okay. Sometimes the pathway, <laughs> you think it's going one way, but it's going to suddenly go a different direction. So I said, I'm sorry. We drive it home. 
We get home, there's, thing, there's warnings on the dash, all that. I turn it off, turn it back on, it's fine. Next day, it's dead, it won't work. I call my brother, who knows a lot about this kind of stuff, help. He runs, he comes, he brings home one of those code readers, he tries to read it. All the lights are flashing, things are going. And so the journey just continues, and eventually, I was out of town, I come back, I take it to a place, uh, they work on it, I take it to AAA, and they're working on it, and the, the path continues, the steps continue, and the phone calls now begin. You know what I'm talking about with the phone calls with the mechanic? Eventually, the last phone call is, well, we did everything we know what to do, and we can't figure out what's wrong, and come pay us money and pick it up, pick it up. And so that was the last step in the path. And so it's sitting out there, I assume, in the, in the parking lot, working. Restored, renovated. Wow. You know, that, that's often what it looks like in our life when we say yes to Jesus and he says, okay, there's a path, there's a journey we're going to take that's going to, as the, the end result, the destination is going to be renovation. Clarity on your identity. You tracking with me? Yeah. Are we remembering what he's taught us so far about this idea of renovating our lives? There's a pathway what does that pathway look like when it comes to renovating our lives? I want us to kind of think about that from our text this morning. I told you 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We're picking up from where we left off last week. And last week, Pastor Jeff was teaching, and you get up to verse 6, and it's just this amazing declaration that he makes about the, the light of the gospel being shown into our hearts, and, and now we can let that be seen by the world. And it's like, woo, you know, there's parts in the Bible where you're just like, man, if it just stopped there, yeah. And then it goes on because we need the whole story, right? We need the truth. And in verse 7, he says this. He says, now we have this treasure, referring back to verse 6, and this idea that the gospel has been given to us. And specifically in verse 6, he says, the face of Jesus. Isn't that cool? We, we understand who God is and we understand the power of the gospel. We understand God's redemptive plan. We, understand, we have a, a view, a beautiful picture. Jeff used that word this morning. Beautiful picture of God's glory, who he is and his intent for creation because of the face of Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen and hallelujah and praise the Lord. Now we have this treasure. We have this amazing reality, this truth, in jars of clay or clay jars. There's a turn right on the path. So that this extraordinary power, the power of the gospel to transform, to renovate, to change a life, to take me from lost to found, to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness, which is what I belong to before Jesus, into the kingdom of the son he loves. The power of forgiveness, the power of being set free from the penalty of death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, you, you with me? We've all sinned, we all fall short. The consequence of that is death. We have this extraordinary power. This extraordinary power might be from God and not from us. Here's the thought. And we'll come back to it and unpack it. God uses our weakness to reveal his transforming power to the world. This is the first step, if you will, on this path to renovation. The reality that God uses my weakness 
to reveal his transforming power. I, yesterday I was sitting at my kitchen table and I was reading these verses. This verse, literally I was reading this verse and I got a text from a friend that um, we call a panic text. Anybody know what a panic text is? Where you're just like, ah, you know, and everything's kind of, and you're not sure, and so you just, you reach out to a friend, and you go, ah, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm going through. And I'm reading this, and my text back to him was this. I said, brother, you're feeling your clay. You're feeling your clay. What you're facing, what you're going through, what God is asking you in the moment, and what you've shared in your text, you're feeling your clay. Anybody feel their clay this week? <laughs> okay. The reality is I'm clay. The power for renovation, the power to transform a life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the work of Christ on the cross. God revealed to us. The gospel is not, hear me very specifically and carefully, the gospel is not a self-help program. It's not powered by my best efforts or my hard work or harder work. Will you say with me? It is the power of God. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, now we have this amazing treasure, what God has just, what we've just unpacked. He reminded the Corinthian church, we saw it last week, this view of God, the glory of God. But be careful, Christians, those who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, that somehow we add the gospel to our best efforts or our religious pursuits. You with me? If we can be honest, that sometimes we see the gospel as making a better version of us. And the gospel doesn't make a better version of me. Can you hear me say that? Can you embrace that? The gospel doesn't make Kurt a better version of Kurt. It transforms me. It changes me from the sinful, broken, fleshly man that I am to a child of God, to a new creation, to rebirth. We're given all these beautiful pictures. The old is gone, the new has come. The, the power of a transformed life is the gospel in a weak vessel of clay. I want to show you one of my new toys. My old one died. I think my grandkids broke it. My grandkids break everything. They left it outside. So I go online, and I go, I start comparing. Anybody bought a blower before? Okay, so they measure it by CFM, right? Cubic feet per minute, and they also put it like a... a a mile a wind speed right 120 miles whatever so I, I, i'm online and i'm looking and i'm and i find the one that's rated the highest for both of those things i mean it just it'll it'll you know watch hold on hold on hold on this is really designed well look at this what's wrong This? This is important. Yeah. 
Can you feel it back there? You mean it makes a difference if there is a power supply. As, as, now come on guys, as beautiful as this is, and, and it is beautiful, right? Come on now. Jacques, that's pretty good. That's a beautiful blower. Right, brother? It's worthless without power. I can take this in my backyard all day long and and try to blow the leaves across the yard, whatever it is I'm trying to do, thinking that I can do it apart from the power that makes it work. You see, the gospel is the power that changes, it transforms my weakness, my clay, into the glory of God. And Paul wants to make sure that we understand that we have this treasure in clay jars so that, so that the extraordinary power, the gospel, what God is doing, would be from God and not from us. What's he saying? He's saying, be careful as followers of Jesus that we sometimes take Sometimes we don't silence our cell phones, but that, we, we all get that. It's okay. That we sometimes take the credit for what God is doing. We do. We do as leaders. We do all of us. And Paul says the reason we are clay is so that the world would know, others would know, that the change you see, the renovation that takes place in your life, the credit goes to who? It goes to God every time, every time. Look at verse 8. Paul continues. He says we're pressured, and he's speaking of himself and the team. He's speaking of those that have been uh, proclaiming the gospel, traveling around, bringing it to Corinth and other places. We, that is, as we are going and making disciples and answering the call that God's placed on our lives, we're pressured in every way but not crushed. We're perplexed but not in despair we're persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body, in how we live our lives. For we who, are, we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus, so that... Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life works in you. Speaking of the Corinthians. What is Paul saying? Well, before I unpack that specifically, I want to point out there's a, there's, a, there's a theme, a recurring pattern that Paul is regularly pointing us back to this idea that the renovation God does in us is not just meant for us, but it's meant for others to see. It's meant for others to see, to learn from, to be impacted by. When I do a project at my house, and we, we've talked about this a little bit, um, we did a, a pantry, and we have a corner, and there were some people at our house this last week who hadn't seen it, and I was sitting over, and I was watching, I was listening, watching, and Becky's pointing out, and they're talking about it, and they're, ooh, uh, you know, and they're looking at it, and I, I realized this truth was playing out before me. We didn't, I didn't necessarily design and build the pantry for others, I did it for us so that we could have a place to put our food in. But the reality is when there's renovation, when there's construction, we are prone to stop and go, ooh, what's going on? Who's doing this? Why are they doing this? How are they doing this? 
maybe this is something we want to do in our world, right? In our garage, in our kitchen, in our whatever, car. Paul refers to this several times. He does it a couple times in just these verses. What God is doing in our life, this path that we're on to renovation of his transformation of our lives, it's not just for what he wants to do in you. It's to bring glory to him. And the way he brings glory to himself through us is the public nature of the renovation of our lives and how he's transforming us into the image of Jesus. Now, some of you are uncomfortable with that because you're introverts or whatever, but the reality is what God's doing in your life is meant for those around you. It's meant for your children, for your spouse, for your neighbors, for your church family, for your co-workers. It's not just to be contained in you, but it's to be seen. And Paul points it out about himself. But he also points it out about Christians in general, that when God is working and transforming, it's for the benefit of others. Now, he makes these, these statements in verse 8 and 9. We're pressured in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Let me, do a, let me do a survey. How many reading that here positive? Raise your hands. Okay. How many here see negative? Raise your hand. Okay. Some of you are not voting or because you're afraid or you don't understand what I'm asking. How many, read the, how many read this and go, ugh? Raise your hand. Okay, we have less voting than last time. Okay, I'm going to try this one more time, and then we're going to move on. How many, by show of hands, when you read, we're pressured in every way but not crushed, we're perplexed but not in despair, we're persecuted but not abandoned, we're struck down but not destroyed? How many zoom in on the first part of each phrase, the negative? Uh, raise your hand. Okay. So that means everyone else, a better hand better go up when I say, when you read that and you go, oh, but we're not, but we're not, but we're not, but we're not. Okay, good, there you go. Thank you, boy. I felt like I was junior high youth pastor again. Let me, let me rephrase these. After studying the, the words, and Paul, through the Holy Spirit, selected very specific words. Pressured, but not crushed. Does that sound like anybody's life right now? Pressured, but he says we're not crushed. Helpless, it literally means to have no resources. Helpless, but not hopeless. Literally means we don't despair. I don't know how this is going to be fixed. I don't know how this is going to be covered. I don't know how God's going to do this. But I'm not despairing because he's always done it in the past and I believe he's going to do it again. Does that make sense? We're helpless, he says. We don't know what to do, but we're not hopeless. We're driven away. Literally, it means to be chased off, persecuted, what it says in English often. We're driven away, but we're not left behind. This is my favorite. I love this picture. He said, and Paul knows about this, doesn't he? He'd been chased off many times from different places. He was physically persecuted. He writes about it in one of his letters. All the ways that he was driven away. People were chasing after him to, to get rid of him. And yet, he says, I was never left behind. God never abandoned me. Isn't that cool? Think about that. The enemy is chasing after. He's trying to persecute. He's trying to chase us, drive us out of whatever, out of schools, out of, out of, out of the culture, out of wherever, out of our neighborhoods, out of anything. 
And sometimes it feels like we're being chased off, driven away, but we're never left behind. We're not left behind. And then he says, we're knocked down, but not out. It means to be made prostrate. Did I say it right? I always mix, you know the two words I mix up? Yeah. I always mix them up, okay. If you don't know I'm talking about good, but... Okay. Fall flat on your face. Knocked flat. Anybody ever fallen flat on your face? Have you had that experience as an adult where you get knocked down and you can't get your hands up in time? Okay, I do. And we have grandkids, and so I'm reminded of this. It happens pretty regularly to a certain age of boys that something happens and they literally just and, and you realize the first thing that's going to touch the ground is going to be their nose it just boom you know and you're like ah and you panic and they start crying but guess what happens who said who said it they they get they get back up don't they they jump back up they're scarred whatever they cry and they and then 30 seconds three minutes later they're running around again it's a picture of what paul says this renovation process looks like. We're pressured, but we're not crushed. We're helpless, but we're not hopeless. We're driven away, but we're not left behind. And yes, we fall flat on our face. And yes, there are forces that are doing that, that are knocking us down. But can you say it with me? We're not out. We're not out. We're not out. Here's the thought. God uses a crucified life to reveal the resurrection life or the resurrected life. Do you know this phrase, a crucified life? The author of 2 Corinthians is the author, the human author, Paul, who coined it. I'm crucified in Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I no longer live in the flesh, but I live in the power of the gospel take you back in your thoughts to this idea of a path to renovation. The path is, is, is marked with this. Would you agree? No? Mine is. The renovation God's doing in me, the way that he is transforming me and working in me and trying to conform me to the image of, my, of his son, my path is marked by these things. Because it is a crucified life, a life that says I no longer live, I no longer am living for self, but I am living for him. And as soon as we submit to him, as soon as we deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him, your life, my life, will be characterized by these things. I th- I th- this thought came into my mind, and it, was, it started with this week, and it started with me, but I think maybe it's bigger than me. I, I believe that we often, maybe in a general sense, we have forgotten what the purpose of life on this planet is for. I, I have a button. I literally have a button in my office, that little red button, and you push it. Anybody know what it says? Yeah, you, right? And I find myself sliding into that thinking that my energy and my effort is going into making life what I want it to be, making it comfortable, making it safe, making it easy making my future secure, my finances, my health, my all, everything, my cars. And so much time and energy goes into that, and I believe I'm concerned that maybe it's bigger than me, that as followers of Jesus, sometimes we have forgotten 
that the path to, to renovation, to transformation, includes these things by design. This is God's design. I have a friend, he's a pastor now. His name is Daniel Baxter. And I want to read from his website. He's, he's an artist. He's always been an artist. He did the paintings on the back wall. But he does, he does these sculptures. He calls them bottles. And he says, It's my belief that life presents a continual series of opportunities for growth. At times in that growing process, we all reach a point of brokenness. And after reaching the point where all seems lost, life then becomes the beauty of being reshaped and uniquely formed into a proposed, purposed design. I am convinced there is a divine creator who with ultimate artistic skill shapes us into who we are, who we are intended to be, and our role is simply to be clay, to be pliable. Now you look at this sculpture and you think, he's not much of an artist. <laughs> There's a, what in the world? <laughs> Did he not know what he was doing? Did he not know the end? I mean, why is there holes and why is there all these these gaps. The process of being each bottle, singular in its design, sheds a desperate light when placed over a candle. The process of being reshaped is not an easy one. Is it an easy one? It's not. But it has to happen because it is the brokenness. Do you see the brokenness? That forces our character to grow strong. If we had not been broken, our light would not shine we would not be individually and beautifully unique. You see, it's the brokenness, it's the, it's the scars. It's, you know, this represents that moment. This represents the choice that I made. This is that relationship. This was that trial. This was that diff... What is it that you see when I turn on the light? Your eyes go away from all those pieces and they go directly to the light. The power of God that is in us, that is showing through again Paul's intent one of his one of the the principles that he really wants us to understand he wants that wanted that church to understand is that the renovation that God's doing in us us getting a clarity as to who we are and why we are here is bigger than us it's for others to see the beauty the power of the gospel what Jesus has done on the cross and his redemptive plan, the end game, if you will, he wants the world to see that. God uses a crucified life. This is a crucified life. Verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, and now he's going to quote from Psalms, I believed, therefore I spoke. That's the quote. Paul says, just like the author of that psalm, we also believe. And therefore we speak. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. That's the resurrected life. Indeed, everything is for your benefit. So that grace extended through more and more people may cause thanksgiving to increase to God's glory. God uses a life of faith. God uses a crucified life. He uses a life of faith to create, I'm going to coin a phrase, okay? You can say this five times fast. Renovation momentum in others. 
Did you, did you see how he, he, he paints this picture? Everything is for your benefit. Everything is for your benefit. What's happening in our lives, Paul says, and what he's just been describing, and this, this life of these challenges and following Jesus, all of it's for your benefit. So that grace extended through more and more people who choose to embrace this life of faith, who embrace this, this life, this crucified life, this life of renovation, may cause thanksgiving to increase. Pause. Don't miss the connection. This is what we are to be thankful for. Okay, don't get up and leave, please. Hang on. But we got to make that connection. That's why I asked you to raise your hand, and more of you raise your hand to say, but we're not crushed, but we're not hopeless, we're not left behind, and we're not out. Praise God. Give thanks to God. Because all this is real. This side is real. But we need to be thankful because that's also real. God uses lives of faith to create renovation momentum in others. In other words, it's contagious. Gratitude and praising God is contagious. Every one of you, if you've been coming for a while, I know you've had this experience where you came in on Sunday and you're kind of, eh, okay, it's Sunday morning, eh, you know, the Niners are playing, eh, whatever, I'm hungry. And then we start singing, and we start giving God worship. And reluctantly, sometimes, you join in, right? Oh, oh well, that's true. Oh, yeah, that, oh, I did. Yeah, and before you know it, <laughs> right, you're giving him grace. And it's contagious, and it spreads. This is the verse that he quotes from. The psalmist says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I said, I am severely Afflicted. The psalmist is writing in a time where all those things were happening and life was a, was a mess. And yet he said, I will walk before the Lord in this life and I believe that God is good. And so I will say, I will give praise to God. Living by faith extends grace to others, increasing gratitude and expanding God's glory. Do you believe that? If we believe that, then that should be coming, that should be how we're living our lives, brothers and sisters. Starting with when we're dismissed later this morning and we interact with each other and what we do at lunch today and what we do with our families and friends tonight and what we do at work tomorrow and what we do at school tomorrow. If we believe this, then we should be living by faith because we're convinced it's going to extend grace. When others see me live by faith, it's going to extend, it's going to amplify grace and it's going to increase gratitude and ultimately bring glory to God. Therefore, we don't give up. Some of you, that's all you needed to be here for this morning. We don't give up. He said it earlier, didn't he? He says it again. We don't give up. Yeah, but Paul, you're crushed, but you're, 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 you're without resources. You're chased away. You're knocked down. Yes, 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 absolutely true. But we don't give up. We don't give up even though our outer person is being destroyed. Did, did Paul have scars and marks on his body because of the, the trials? Did he have pain? Did he have limitations? He did. He tells us about it, right? He asked God to take something away. God said no in one instance. Our inner person, though, is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction. If you mark anything in your Bible or you write something down, it would be this, I pray. Our momentary light affliction. I didn't make up this definition for the trouble in your life. Just don't shoot the messenger. You with me? 
That's probably not how many of us would have framed it. Right? Momentary, which means a season, light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we don't focus on what is seen. We don't focus on the physical. We don't focus even on the the trial or the pain or the difficulty. What do we focus on? We focus on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is seen, unseen, is, is eternal. C.S. Lewis said it this way to describe this, this weight of glory. The weight of glory is what's unseen. We don't know what that's going to look like yet. What is seen is the, the momentary light affliction, right? We're living in it. And he's comparing the two. And he says that you can't even compare them. And, and C.S. Lewis says that that weight of glory, he describes it as a father who is well pleased with the growth in his son. Or an artist is well pleased with the outcome of the masterpiece that he's created. It's, it's the redeemed understanding that when I get to heaven, all of that, all that I, well, A, everything that I'm experiencing has a purpose. What is the purpose? It's to prepare me for that moment of eternal glory where I stand before him and he looks at me and he says, well done, well done. You were knocked down but not out. You were chased away but you were, you were never left behind. You, you tracking with that? Final thought. God uses daily renovation to keep us focused on what really matters. You guys, I need daily reminders of what this life is all about. Anybody else? Sometimes it's moment to moment. To moment. Why, is this, why did the car break down again? Why do I got to pay? Why do, why do I got to go to the doctor? Why, you know, are, are the people in my life making those, those choices that, you know, why, why, find, why, 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 why? God intends all of those pieces on this path to renovation to be daily reminders to stay focused on what really matters. And I hope you love me just a little bit when I say what I'm going to say next. What really matters is not your comfort or your ease of life. Same for me. And the renovation work that he's doing, if I will continue on that path, stay on that path, and let him do his work, it will daily, daily, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed, God shows up. He keeps showing up. And he keeps reminding us what really matters. Paul prayed this, and I'm wrapping up. Paul prayed this. I pray that he, God, may grant according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love? To know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge. It surpasses what you can see and understand. So you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And folks, that's renovation. You want a definition for renovation? There it is. Filled with all the fullness of God. 
I want to challenge us, and this is a personal challenge, but I invite you into my journey. Resist the appeal of the momentary for the significance of the eternal. That is your daily task. That is my daily task in following Jesus. To say no to the appeal of the moment. The gratification of the moment. The relief of the moment. Because that's where we take things into our own hand and we take action. And the Bible gives it a three-letter word. It's called S-I-N, sin. I meet some need. I meet some desire. I go after something. I want it to be like this. And so in the moment, ooh, that looks so good. That, that immediate momentary relief or gratification or satisfaction. Get your eyes off the things that are seen and focus on what is unseen. The eternal weight of glory. Resist the appeal. Is the momentary gratification, satisfaction appealing? It is. Romans 7, Paul, Paul said it is. The things I don't want. And the thing, yes, it is. This flesh. Say no. Resist. Don't sacrifice the significance of the eternal. Renovation is temporary. This journey, this painful upheaval, this path we're on is temporary. But what is eternal? Your identity. Who you are in Christ. What he did on the cross is eternal. It's ours. Let me throw these questions at, at you. And I'm just, I'm, time is short, so I'm going to be brief. And then we're going to watch a video. I want you to watch a video together with me. Number one, how do you recharge your batteries? Where's your power source? I don't mean how do, when I'm tired, how do I get refreshed? I'm talking about spiritually. The power to be transformed. Is it spending time in God's word? Is it Sunday morning? Is it, is it solitude with him? Is it prayer? You better know what those are. You better know what that is. Because you don't got it in you, people of clay, nor do I. The powers of God. It comes from him at work in us. And I need to figure out how to connect to that source. When I bought this tool... They'd, I had one before, and they changed the batteries. And I, it, how important was it for me to figure out how to put this on here? You, you watching? It's very important, right? How do you charge your batteries? Number two, when do you choose the momentary over the eternal? This is self-awareness, brothers and sisters. When are you vulnerable? When are you weak? When are you choosing the momentary over the eternal? When are you giving in? Know when those moments are. Prepare for those moments. Don't be caught off guard. Then number three, what areas of your life are off limits to God? Now I know the Sunday school answer. Nothing. Okay, how about that cabinet above the refrigerator <laughs> that nobody can reach? That closet, that box in the closet, whatever. Only you can answer this, and if you can answer this this morning, you need to give God access to those areas before we move any further, before you move any further this morning. Because God is at work renovating our lives. If you'll let him, if we let him, we're on a path for him to transform us, renovate our lives for that eternal weight of glory that is coming. Are we together? Let's watch this. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's masterpiece. And I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror, I don't see a masterpiece. But I want to. So I go to God and I pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, would you do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your Son? Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. Oh, who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. That's how it works. <laughs> you're not God. No, I am. Okay, uh, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is a very short book. It only has five chapters. Why is it so short? I was tired of lamenting. You are God. What's that about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. This is the process. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Let's get busy. Okay. I'm going to bring up things in your life that don't belong in your life. And uh, start right here. Your anger. Ow! I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrongest of ways. You compare yourself to others instead of me. And you lie. You tell little white lies. You're so afraid of confrontation. You're becoming a people pleaser. Okay, time out. Um, I think you've done some really good work, and I'm looking pretty good right now. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away, because ultimately, you and other people need to see my son. Okay, but when I look like Jesus, people get uncomfortable, and I don't think I'm supposed to do that. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. No, what I'm saying is you've grown me to here. Maybe we take a break from each other for a while, all right? And then I'll stay here, and then you come back, and we can grow some more. You never just take a break from me. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but you never just plateau. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life, or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, chisel. No, 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 chisel. All right, here we go. Can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Okay, sorry. <clears throat> this right here, that secret sin, that thing that you run to whenever you're hurting, you're angry, you're lonely, you're tired. Do you want to keep rearranging this in your life, or do you want me to chisel it out? Chisel. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. Oh, this, this hurts, okay? I don't think you understand this pain. Don't talk to me about pain. I know all about pain. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you are doing in your life that are insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. I know, but I've let you down so many times, God. No. You were never holding me up. Okay, then chisel away. But just be prepared for what you're gonna find in there. Cause I know who's inside there. God, I get up every morning and I hate what I see in the mirror cause inside is a scared, stupid kid. And I try, I try, but I can't. I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I wanna be, much less who you created me to be. So chisel away and just know what you're gonna find in there. You have listened to so many voices, so many critics for far too long that are not for me. You've bought into the lie. You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night, at the end of the day, you think you're junk. I don't take time to make junk. I want to show you something about my love. Reach in your back pocket. This is a... It's a page from a notebook when I was in college. How'd you get this? Hello? Go ahead and read it. Dear God, did I hear you right? You said you were going to use me. But I feel really useless. But if you can take this life, this mess of a life I have, and do with it what you want, I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. It's going to be tough.
Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you said yes to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's. No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you. But maybe for the first time in your life, the way I made you, the way I created you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. You are an original masterpiece. And that is the eternal weight of glory. That we will spend eternity in God's presence as his masterpieces. Identity fully restored to what he created us to be. So keep your eyes fixed on that. Get them off the temporary and keep them fixed on the eternal. Stay on the path of renovation. We're going to respond this morning. And we can, we can set this moment up. But we can't make anybody take advantage of the moment and respond to God. That's on each of us. So we're going to, the, the, the Lord's table, as a follower of Jesus, you've been invited to come and eat and to drink and to remember what he's done. The only thing he asked, Paul describes in, in 1 Corinthians, is that if there's areas of your life that are off limits, if you've told God to stop chiseling in certain areas, lay those down before you come to the table. You don't have to fix them. You just need to lay him down and let him do his chiseling. Just be honest with him. And you can come to these, the four tables around this room when you've done that and you're ready to come and remember what Jesus did for you. We're going to sing. For some of you, this is the only time in your life that you sing, maybe in the shower or in the car. But together we're singing as one voice, as one heart, that expressing that gratitude that Paul talks about, extending grace to one another and expressing gratitude so that more and more people would give glory to God. And maybe that's your response this morning. Maybe God spoke to you and said, you just need to worship me. You just need to give me worth. You just need to be grateful for what I'm doing in your life. You may worship this morning and respond by giving. There's boxes around that you can do that if that's what God's laid on your heart. But do not miss this moment where as God's people, the, the church, the family of God, the Holy Spirit is present, he has been speaking, and he's been asking us to listen and then respond, obey. Let's, we've been hearers, I pray. Now let's be doers in our response.